Welcome to the MBA podcast. Join us as we explore the full-time MBA course at the Smith School of Business. So first up, Teresa, tell us a bit about yourself. Wonderful. All right. My name is Teresa Perez, and I am the Associate Director of Recruitment and Admissions for the full-time MBA program at the Smith School of Business. I have been with the Smith School of Business now for just over 11 years, uh, primarily within the full-time MBA um, space, and I essentially recruit. I recruit fabulous students year over year. Fantastic. And give us a quick introduction to your business school. Sure. So our business school is the Smith School of Business. It was renamed in 2016 uh, by Stephen Smith, who was a graduate of Queen's University. And so we, at that point, were named the Smith School of Business. Before that, we were just the business school, so Queen's uh, Business School. So we're under the umbrella of Queen's University. Our business school, currently in the graduate programs, we have 13, um, under the suite of master's programs, 13 programs currently running. Uh, so it is quite uh, quite a robust uh, business school uh, with the 13 different programs, um, and I particularly uh, recruit for the full-time MBA program. Fantastic. And what do you love most about your business school? Oh my gosh, where do I start? So I um, am slightly biased. So I was born and raised in Kingston, where Queen's okay. University is based. Um, I did all three of my degrees at Queen's University and now have worked at Queen's University for, you know, just over 11 years. So um, clearly in Affinity, I feel very strongly that we offer one of the best programs in the country, if not the globe. I really love the camaraderie the community feel. It's a small town. Um, having been born, born and raised here and having been a student at Queen's, I can really speak to that and the culture of the school itself. But I really do love um, the environment that we've created at the Smith School of Business and that students really feel like they're part of something bigger than just an MBA program. So tell us a bit about your business school's physical location. Where are you exactly? Absolutely. So we are located in Kingston, Ontario, which is relatively small town between two major cities, I like to say. So we are um, two and a half hours to Toronto, um, three and a half hours to Montreal, an hour and a half to our capital, Ottawa. So very centrally located, a great destination to be as a student, uh, to live and work as well. I am based in Kingston and um, having spent the last five years um, in Toronto, I certainly appreciate what Kingston has to offer. Yeah. And what does it have to offer quickly? I mean, you're on the lake, aren't you? We are. We are certainly um, a water town. So being right on the lake, not too far from the Thousand Islands. So for our students that are international, particularly those that have never been uh, to uh, Ontario before, they're really getting um, a great glimpse of what Canada has to offer in a small town like Kingston. So we are on the Thousand Islands Parkway. Um, we also have great outdoor activities for our students while they're here uh, to get to know the community. There's lots of hiking trails. Um, everything you need is within walking distance. So that's another aspect of our program that is quite unique. It is not a commuter campus. So when our students arrive, they literally can walk from where they're staying to the campus to get groceries, and it's all within 10 to 15 minutes. Yeah, it really is a very special place. Um, who Tell us a bit about the, um, the structure of Queen's and, and, and how it came just to, 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 to be there. 
Yeah, so our institution is one of the oldest in Canada, older than Canada, in fact, mm. 175 years old. And so Queen's University is one of the strongest brands in the country, if not the world. Um, it is uh, also known for um, having a great uh, medical department as well as engineering program and our Smith School of Business, which is also uh, highly ranked, uh, just ranked top 75 in the world by Financial Times. Right, fantastic. And and give us a quick picture of the, the facilities and what a student can expect if they were to come to you um, as a full-time MBA student. Absolutely. So like I said, we're not a, a commuter campus, so we're a full residential program. So our students are on campus. Um, they're offered a... Um, an office space uh, while they're in the program. So we call them team rooms. Uh, we put our students together into small teams and they have these team rooms for the entire year of the program. So oftentimes their books, their materials are all delivered right to their team room. So they're not spending too much time outside of Goods Hall, which is where our full-time MBA is. However, if they do need to um, go to the library, it's steps away from Goods Hall. It's uh, very walkable. The city is very walkable. And so our students are often, you know, in the summer months spending time studying down by the water, uh, which is lovely. Um, it's right on campus. Um, so I would say that in terms of the facilities that they need, um, everything is within, particularly for the full-time MBA students, in Goods Hall. Uh, but if they need medical attention, for example, we do have um, a space for students to go. So um, there's uh, centers, medical centers, uh, there's a grocery store, there's a gym, uh, very robust gym facilities for our students, a pool uh, for therapies, etc. So everything that students need really is uh, in close proximity um, during the year that they're in the full-time MBA. And social life? Social life, yes. Yeah, so Kingston <laughs> is, uh, you know, 140,000 people, so quite small in comparison to the big city of Toronto or, or maybe Montreal. But uh, we do offer students, um, I think anyways, having been a student at one time, um, a great uh, social life. So our um, students get together. There's lots of great pubs, restaurants. Um, I believe we were ranked uh, number one in the country for having the, the most um, restaurants uh, per capita. So I can believe that. Yeah. I can believe that. <laughs> lots of great restaurants. Um, in terms of the social gatherings, there's lots of things that happen both at a university level, but within the Smith School of Business, we have lots of uh, social clubs um, that students can get to know one another. We also have what's called the Fit to Lead program, which is a wellness program built right into the MBA. So fun things like yoga, boot camps, um, they get together in the summer months to go canoeing, uh, lots of great things that are happening to, to bring together the cohort uh, so that um, our students can really get to know each other and the community. Fantastic. And you mentioned the credit um, rankings. Um, yeah. uh, tell us, tell us about the rankings. We all know that they're all um, pretty, pretty, you know, difficult sometimes to, to 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 work out what what is actually being said and what's being rated. Um, but what are you particularly proud of uh, in, in regards to your rankings? Yeah, it's an interesting topic because you're right. Um, all rankings, you know, are looking at different things. They can be very subjective in terms of what they're measuring. Um, oh. But we we have participated, I would say, consistently in the Financial Times ranking, which I would say is probably the most global ranking that's out there. 
Um, and we have just recently been uh, ranked 71st on the Financial Times. And in particular, um, I would say a couple of things that stand out are, are uh, student satisfaction, and that's coming directly from our students and our alumni. So that's an important one. Um, so being ranked number one is, um, is, is a big deal because students are looking at this and thinking, okay, this isn't just about faculty or the brand of the, of the school, but rather it's coming from student experiences and perspectives, which should be something that prospective candidates are looking at. And the other is number one for career services, which is also, um, I would consider one of the, the biggest strengths is our career services and what we have to offer. Candidates are thinking about return on investment, right? This should be something that they're thinking about. And so when they see a program like ours, ranked number one for um, career services, that should tell them that this is a school that's going to be there to support them through that career journey and ensure their success in that career post-MBA. Right, indeed. And, and what about accreditations? Um, could you tell us about how uh, your program is accredited? Yeah, so we're accredited by two accreditations, the EQUIS, which is a European accreditation, and then the AACSB. Um, so doubly accredited, uh, which I think also speaks to the quality of the institution and the brand. Um, you know, there's there's lots of different business programs out there and they just continue to grow and only 5% or less actually have these two accreditations. So I certainly think that that speaks to um, what you're, you're getting at a school like ours in terms of the quality of faculty and um, the resources support that a school like ours offers its students. Let's move on to people now. Could you give us an idea about your leadership teams, admin teams? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say that uh, within the Smith School of Business, uh, we do have, you know, distinguished professors, um, faculty members that are authors and researchers, which I think helps um, for prospective students to see the quality of education they're getting, but the quality of faculty members in particular that have done things outside of just um, teaching. So when you, look, when you look at um, a professor like um, Julian Barling, who's just written a new book on um, the Brave New Workspace and talking about COVID and the impacts of that, uh, and then bringing that uh, directly back to a classroom, I think showcases that uh, we're really in tune with what's happening in the economy and the market space, and uh, students are getting that uh, education in live time. So I think that that certainly helps to have faculty members that are, you know, for the most part in, at the MBA level, tenured, um, distinguished professors that have gone out and, and you know, bringing back experience um, that they've gotten from their consulting work or you know, in their research. Um, and that certainly helps our, our students, our prospective candidates feel like they're making a really solid decision because of the quality of education they're getting in the classroom. Indeed, indeed. And, and how many, um, you know, uh, faculty members do you have uh, uh, working with the MBA students? Well, uh, we offer approximately 20 courses, um, and that's uh, not to include, you know, candidates have the option to do uh, a lot more electives. So I would say, you know, upwards of 20 to, to 40, anywhere within that time frame that a, a student, a prospective candidate can tap into in their preliminary research. But while they're a student on campus, um, they do have, you know, direct access to faculty members, whether or not they're actually, you know, teaching a course or if a student is looking to connect with a, a faculty member to understand more about their research, that's possible. I think that we build that um, sense of community 
within the Smith School of Business. You know, it's 80 students, so we're a small, relatively small MBA program. So it's one to 80, you know, in the classroom when it comes right. to faculty members. And so I think that the opportunity to, to, to be able to speak to a faculty member, connect with them, um, you know, oftentimes, you know, they're bringing back their, their direct experience having worked in industry to a classroom. And so oftentimes that conversation goes beyond just what they're learning through the curriculum. It's another conversation that might happen. And maybe they're doing, you know, a TA ship for that faculty member. So there's different touch points throughout the time that a student um, is, you know, in the classroom to what else they're looking to do post MBA that can really uh, add value to making those relationships and connections with faculty members. And oftentimes I hear, you know, I connected with the faculty long after I graduated because I heard they were doing something interesting and cool and it aligned with what I was doing. So I, I felt comfortable enough to, to tap back into that relationship. And I love hearing that because it just showcases, you know, our, our unique collaboration and family feel that one gets when they complete our programs. Fantastic. And you mentioned the students. Where do they come from? All over the globe. So um, as I mentioned, we recruit for a relatively small MBA program, you know, anywhere between 70 to 80 students per cohort. Um, and they're coming from, uh, you know, all across the world. Uh, we recruit 40% international students year over year, give or take. And currently they're, they're representing 15 nationalities. Um, so that's uh, quite diverse. Um, we've had candidates from, you know, um, Nepal, uh, India, China, Southeast Asia, uh, Latin America, um, US, Europe. <laughs> so I think I've, all hit, over. I've hit the, them all there. Yeah. Um, and what's, you know, if you were to describe your profile of your your successful student profile, what would a, what would that look like? It's interesting you say it in that way because I think there's two things to mention here. There's the qualities that they come in with a candidate might come in with that are the foundations, right? Good communication skills, um, already strong networking skills. Maybe they've seen some trajectory in their career. They do uh, volunteerism or maybe they have some board experience versus the candidates that come in um, that maybe are building on those skills, right? And through our coaching culture that we offer and our communications course that we build right into the curriculum, um, I would say that they improve those skills over time uh, in our program. So I would say that, you know, the successful candidates are the ones that are able to leverage what we offer in the MBA program and be able to pivot into a career that they've indicated they'd like to to, to make a transition into. Um, it's not always about, you know, that career choice that makes them successful. I think too, being able to uh, build a network, uh, being able to um, strengthen your presentation skills are all successful tools to make one successful coming out of the MBA. But I would say that, you know, if we're speaking about the successful transitions I've seen, you know, I've seen a musician turn, um, you know, uh, someone go into um, investment banking or management investment, um, investment management rather. So there are those big transitions that happen, um, you know, costume designer turned consultant. Um, so the consulting and finance do tend to be certainly uh, the top two industries that alumni uh, are going into coming out of an MBA program. But that's not to say that we can't place students in other areas. Healthcare, technology are fast, fastly growing. Um, so I would say that, you know, the success is really in being able to land a job in the space that they were looking to land post MBA. And what uh, kind of personal attributes are you looking for in a, in a student? Uh, um, what students, uh, um, what kind of things are you um, 
focusing in on when you're you're selecting the right fit uh, student for your course? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, there's there's this saying in the industry that we say we take a very holistic approach to recruiting, and and we speak about um, being quite holistic in our approach uh, because the reality is is that we're looking for diversity academically and professionally. There's no one. Um, you know, one type of candidate specifically that we're looking for. We're not, there's no cookie cutter. Um, we are looking for diverse experiences and that could mean that maybe they've worked for a global company. Um, maybe they, um, you know, have been able to, to volunteer uh, in an area that has brought them um, empathy or made them more empathetic. Um, you know, these, these skills are hard to measure just by looking at a candidate on paper. So oftentimes, you know, the interview will tell us a lot about a candidate or bring them to life in a different way, if that makes sense. You know, we'll see their communication skills through the interview. We'll be able to better understand, you know, why they've um, chosen the career that they have, why they're looking at an MBA at this stage in their career. And it's about being able to tell their story authentically um, and transparently. Uh, those, those candidates typically are the ones that, you know, I would say know why they want an MBA and understand what an MBA can do for them uh, coming out of the program. Because this, let's be honest, this is a very big investment personally and financially. So we want to make sure uh, at the front end in that discovery phase that we are answering all their questions, that they understand what an MBA, um, the commitment level really is. And those candidates that can really come prepared um, with good questions and be able to really fully understand what we offer and choose us because of all of those factors, I would say goes a long way in the interview because they come that much more prepared. And lastly, I would say that being able to network is also another fundamental skill um, in being successful in an MBA. So it's not just about, you know, being strong academically. You know, you're going to get those three letters, MBA, wherever you go. It's about how you get them that's really unique and different in our program specifically. And if a candidate can really understand, you know, what we offer and leverage those resources um, and take advantage of the other things that we offer, like club activities and uh, being able to get out into the community and give back, um, they're building leadership and management organically or almost through osmosis in, in a way. So um, I would say that candidates that are open to that and fully understand this commitment are the ones that are the most successful. Right. And what are the minimum requirements that candidates need to have in order to enter? Sure. Yeah. So the minimum requirements uh, won't stand out as unique in any way. We're looking for a four-year undergraduate degree from any discipline. We um, look at the last two years to determine a GPA. It can be a bit subjective, right? Because, um, you know, degrees all look very different. But I would say on average, we're looking for about a B plus average in the last two years. Uh, we do also look for two-year minimum work experience, typically within a full uh, a full-time profile. It's between two to nine years. So candidates with ten plus years of work experience, uh, we'd advise that they consider an executive option at that point. Um, and that's for the reason that um, full-time MBA candidates are sort of at that junior to mid-level in their career. So if you've got a lot of senior experience, management experience under your belt, you're not going to get the same value out of a full-time profile that you would in, a, in an executive, meaning that the, the peers around you are going to have more, uh, more experience to be able to share um, and be able to contribute in a very different way than, than a, a full-time MBA profile might look like. Um, the other pieces are, of course, the standardized tests. So we do require the GMAT or the GRE. 
So that is uh, something that's compulsory. Um, you know, in, in very rare cases, will we waive a standard, standardized test? So if a candidate has a CFA, for example, that can surely tell us, you know, um, their qualities um, quantitatively. So we may consider waiving a standardized test for a designation, um, but again, that's case by case and, and rarely do we do that. Um, on the GMAT, we'd like to see a minimum of 600 and then on the GRE, a minimum of 315 combined score. Um, in addition to that, if you're an international student that studied um, in a different language, then we will require an English proficiency test. So IELTS or TOEFL will be required. So 100 on the TOEFL minimum, and then seven on the IELTS. Uh, IELTS is, is the minimum there. Um, lastly, we do uh, interview all of our candidates and ask for a video essay to be completed. So this is a, a bit unique, I would say. Um, we don't have any written essays. So the only written pieces that we're asking you to submit are your resume and your cover letter. Uh, and then we ask you to complete behavioral-based questions through a video assessment. So it's a platform that we use called Kira Talent uh, that is sent to every candidate, um, and they have to complete two video assessments, two video questions. They'll have 90 seconds to respond. Um, and we're really, there is no right or, answer, right or wrong answer here. We're really just trying to get a sense of um, how a candidate would respond in the time setting. So it's it's really about testing a stress, <laughs> how, how, how you operate under stress. And then lastly, the interview. Um, so we interview all of our candidates that meet our minimum requirements. It's usually a panel interview. So, um, you know, myself, someone from the admissions team alongside a career coach. So very important that a career coach or someone from our careers team is assessing a candidate in real time. So once that's all done, a candidate is assessed on every factor, and then we assess for acceptance and scholarship at the same time. And it's uh, as simple as that. Fantastic. And, you know, s slipping forwards, uh, mm. uh, uh, your alumni are obviously an important part of, of the equation. Um, could you tell us a little bit about the, the outcomes, the pathways, uh, the, the, the things that your um, graduating uh, students can expect? Absolutely. We have a very strong alumni. Uh, we're graduating over 500 alum a year from our four MBA programs. So that's a, a very large network of MBAs coming out of our Smith MBA programs. And so the although the full-time MBA program is quite small, they do have access to be able to network and meet uh, with the um, MBAs and the other programs. So that's one advantage. The second, of course, is that our alumni are continuously giving back um, to the program in multiple ways. So our current students uh, have the opportunity to do meet and greets with our alumni quite early on into the cycle. So workshops, um, panel discussions, and then coffee chats are happening throughout the year. Um, that's one way our alumni give back. There's also mentorship, mentorship opportunities that our alumni are participating in. Um, and then in addition to that, uh, just um, informal uh, opportunities to connect. So if I have a candidate that's seeking a career in management consulting, well, it's really difficult to get into, let's say, the MBBs of the world, right? And so oftentimes just having that conversation with alumni and understanding their pathway and what they did to get there um, certainly helps um, a candidate feel more confident and then prepare them the best way that they can in what they need to do to, to be successful. And so seeing the journey of an alumni, uh, I would say, attests to, um, you know, their, their, the strength of our alumni network, but also helps them prepare as best as they can to be just as successful. So I would say our alumni are, are 
being placed in, in every opportunity, both domestically within Canada, um, as well as internationally. So some of our students do go abroad, do go back to their home um, countries. Some are choosing to go abroad uh, during electives and building out uh, their networks through exchange options and then choosing to go back after they complete the program. So I have a, an alumni a few years back who um, got placed at um, Kearney, so working in consulting, uh, coming out of the MBA, but did an exchange at NUS in Singapore and loved it so much that she was actually able to transition after being in Canada for a year with Kearney and then uh, work in uh, Singapore. So those those are great, uh, successful stories of students that can go abroad um, coming out of the MBA. But traditionally, I would say the majority are actually staying um, in Canada. 74% last year stayed in, in Toronto specifically, so within Ontario. And then others, you know, Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, Montreal. Okay. And do you have, you mentioned one student. Uh, do yeah. you have other student stories you could share that maybe give an insight into into the journeys that alumni follow? Absolutely. Uh, we have, um, because we are a team-based MBA, we attract uh, quite a lot of um, candidates that come from a sport background. Nice. In particular, we had a candidate um, a few years ago that was working for the CFL. He was a football player, really didn't know what to do with his career um, after, you know, after football. And so, which is often the case with those that are, you know, in sport and what does that next um, pivot look like? And so he came into our MBA um, wanting to make a transition into consulting and um, completed our MBA, was um, very hardworking throughout his time, uh, was involved in some of our um, uh, clubs during the program. Uh, so really took advantage of all the leadership opportunities to strengthen that aspect and then utilize his transferable skills from sport to um, work in management consulting at BCG. So this is uh, a huge success story, you know, not having worked in industry prior to the MBA and then making such a big uh, transformation, I would say, um, into consulting coming out of the program. Fantastic. Let's move on now to partnerships. Um, I guess uh, your students are involved in exchanges. Uh, uh, tell us a little bit about how that works. They are, yes. So we have 43 partners um, in 38 countries. Actually, we might have just hit over 40. Um, so wow. our partnerships are really quite robust for our full-time students. Uh, we have partners in Southeast Asia, Asia, Europe primarily, and South America. Um, and our students are, are choosing us for that option in some cases. You know, we have um, a unique partnership with Bocconi, for example, where we have a luxury brand course that they can go and take in Italy. Um, so the reasons and the motivation for why a full-time MBA student might want to go abroad is simply because there is a course that we just don't offer. Um, so I think that having these partnerships and this ability to do an academic extension is really valuable. Um, so it's not just about coming to the Smith School of Business and being part of Queen's University, but it's also about having the option and ability to go abroad and do a course at LBS or go to Switzerland and, and check out St. Gall and spend some time exploring um, a different culture, but also see what it's like to get, you know, a course or two from a different institution and then tie it back to, to Queens um, and then graduate, you know, with having that um, exposure and opportunity to go international. Fantastic. And the other partnership that's critically important, uh, I think, is that with business. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, can you tell me how that uh, interaction with the business community benefits uh, your MBA students? Yeah, I think that there's um, multiple partnerships that we offer um, and I think goes a long way in helping candidates choose us, uh, not only for that brand awareness, but also because they see themselves in the partnerships we offer. So, for example, we have the Forte Foundation Partnership, which is an organization that helps um, women in business. And we have fellowships specific for women. So as they're looking at our program, they might see this partnership and then say, well, I'm a woman and this is such a great opportunity for me to uh, to engage in a community outside of just Queens because they have this partnership at the Forte Foundation. Similarly, we've partnered with a Reaching Out MBA, which is the acronym is RAMBA for LGBTQ plus um, community. And so similarly, you know, they can come into our program, see that they might align with this fellowship, um, come to the Smith School of Business, do their MBA, get this additional award scholarship as part of this, but then be part of a larger community and tap into um, the resources that these uh, partnerships offer. Like um, oftentimes there's a yearly um, conference that they can participate in, which we fully fund. Um, There's going to be a network of business students like them that um, have the same or part of the same community that they can then uh, feel like they're, you know, getting a different network than they would if they were just, you know, at Smith School of Business within Kingston. Um, So in my opinion, these partnerships are so important to see themselves in as not just for fellowships, but also for an extension to what they're getting at uh, the Smith School of Business. move along to the most important part uh, of this conversation, uh, uh, the learning outcomes, the learning that takes place. Uh, Could you give us a quick overview of of what your program actually looks like? Absolutely. So we are a one-year MBA and we start in January. So that is typically off cycle to most traditional MBA programs. And we do this because it falls directly, this time frame falls directly in line with Canada's corporate hiring structure. So we have seen the returns on that within our um, job um, employment statistics year over year. So it certainly does benefit. However, starting in the middle of winter in Kingston isn't ideal uh, for international students. So that does tend to be one of the, the major it's concerns. It's so cold. <laughs> so cold, yeah. So I'm not going to lie. Um, it is, it's a tough sell. Um, but I think that once they see our employment statistics and you know the return on their investment, then January doesn't seem so bad. In in addition to that, sorry, I'll just jump in with sort of the structure. Um, So the first six months of the MBA is what we call the foundational courses. So typical to what a student would find at most MBA programs. So that's the the foundational courses of an MBA. So um, fundamental business courses. And um, that can really uh, vary um, depending on how it's delivered at different schools. So for example, we're a one-year MBA program. So it's quite intense. We essentially design our MBA like a, a business environment. You're in classes 8.30 to 4.30, Monday to Friday. We do give you a lunch break, uh, but you're taking one course in the morning. So that could be business analytics. And then in the afternoon, you're taking leading with integrity. And uh, every three to six weeks, your classes are changing. So really the intensity um, or the rigor rather is in that first six months of our MBA program. Fantastic. And and so... In the first six months, you have uh, uh, that structured uh, learning. How did it go on from there? 
So in terms of the um, electives, so the June to December timeframe uh, would be your electives. So you have to take eight uh, elective courses with an optional area of specialization if you choose. So we have um, specializations in consulting, finance, marketing and sales, entrepreneurship and innovation, management analytics and digital business. So quite a lot of different areas that one can focus on. However, most students actually just take general management, wherein they're picking um, from a very a large list of electives that they can um, hone in on areas that they want to improve on. Um, so for example, if they know they want to go into consulting, maybe they might lean more towards taking the consulting courses, but doesn't mean that they have to take them all in consulting. So having eight, uh, the choice of eight electives means that um, you can take half in one area and specialize, and the other half in a completely different area for interest or uh, to gain on skills you wouldn't necessarily have the opportunity to build on. Or you can just take all the courses in one area if you choose. So there's so much flexibility in that last six months to specialize or to take courses for general management purposes. So let's um, take, a, I don't know, a, a typical route of a student um, uh, arriving in, in the cold, uh, first of all, in, uh, in January. Um, take me through the, the, the orientation process and then on through their experience of their, their MBA uh, uh, until they graduate, please. Absolutely. So when they arrive, we have um, a pre-MBA. So it's optional to do a pre-MBA. And that's going to focus on um, dipping your feet into areas like finance and consulting, um, as well as accounting. Uh, there's an a um, modeling course as well, um, and then more of the consulting route. So, um, you know, in, in most MBA programs, you're going to find a lot of uh, case uh, management. So you are going to have a taste of that in the pre-MBA. So students can opt to take all five or just uh, dip into one or two if they feel like they need to strengthen in those areas or have never had exposure to any of those courses. Um, second would be, uh, the second week would then be your orientation week where all students are, are required to be on campus. So it's mandatory. They get to meet one another. Um, second day of orientation, you get to know your teams. So in our program, we are truly a team-based MBA. We're putting you into small teams based on your diversity academically and professionally. Um, and so because of this, uh, there are some building exercises that are really critical at that early stage to understand your teammates, their strengths their weaknesses and really help to build that connection amongst teams. So that happens um, in the orientation where you're really um, getting to know one another, understanding each other's um, weaknesses, but also setting some pretty pretty um, rigid guidelines around, you know, times to meet as a team, for example. If you're coming with a family, maybe, you know, you want to say to your team, weekends are off limits. And there's that ability to do that. But then that means a negotiating on what makes the most sense to meet as a team. So that's all happening in orientation. And then uh, the third week is uh, classes begin. You jump right into it. So 80, so we recruit for 80 students, so no more than 80 per cohort, uh, which literally means uh, you're all in class together. So we do that strategically because we don't want to split up the cohort. Uh, we want students to be able to uh, learn from one another 
um, and then also build that relationship with the faculty member as a unit. So you're in class 8.30 to 4.30, Monday to Friday. Every three, six weeks, your classes are changing. Um, so 50% of your grade is actually going to be team-based. Um, so you are working uh, quite diligently in the evenings to get those deliverables completed. But we have a, a really unique opportunity in our full-time MBA because we don't just focus on one way of learning. We really do have a modern curriculum that lends itself to our blended methodologies. So there are a variety of different ways that you're learning. So there's going to be um, obviously that lecture style, lots of presentations, group work throughout, uh, case-based studying and uh, methodology throughout as well. So this modern uh, curriculum uh, lends itself to what's happening in the real world, but also ensures that our students are building on skills to be successful in business because it directly aligns with the skill sets that employers are seeking. And the kinds of um, assessment methodologies that you uh, use? Yeah, the assessments are going to be in a variety of ways. So you're going to get sort of that technical expertise. So it could mean um, that you are um, doing computer simulations. Uh, you're going to have that team dynamic. So you're going to be assessed on how well you work as a team. So 50% of your grade is team-based. And that could look like anything from a deliverable as a team to a presentation. Um, of course, your interpersonal skills are going to be assessed as well. We have a communications course built right into the first six months. Um, we also have a careers programming, pass or fail, uh, working with a career coach built right into the academic calendar as well. Um, and then the, the, the other piece of it is that um, experiential learning or that hands-on um, learning that you're getting through real-world business projects. So that happens both in the front end as well as in the back end of the program. So in the first uh, six months uh, with your team, you are acting as strategy consultants for an SME, so a small to medium-sized enterprise. And that company is chosen by our senior leadership, and it's the same company that all 12 teams are working on. Uh, you and your team members get full disclosure of the company, and then you have to come up with solutions to fill a gap or to find um, you know, a problem that you need to solve within the company. Sometimes they, they come with the problem. You know, it really depends. Every year it looks different. Um, but this is really a unique way for our students to put into practice what they're learning in the MBA. Fantastic. And, and you know, students come with a variety of different backgrounds to your course. And, and so inevitably they're going to need uh, different kinds of uh, uh, support uh, mm. going forward. Some how do you meet uh, students' needs if they have challenges that go beyond uh, the normal? We have a very robust um, coaching culture at the Smith School of Business. So not just within the full-time MBA program, but this is really ingrained into everything that we do at the Smith School of Business. So I mentioned that we are team-based. So we have a team coach, certified team coaches. Um, similarly, we have executive coaches that work with our students either in a group setting. So with the team coach, they're focused on working um, within a team to ensure there's that camaraderie, mitigate any issues that might arise as a team. But then separate to that, um, students have the ability to work with executive coaches. They can act as mentors, really there to fill in the needs for our, for our students, depending on what they're going through. Many of our students are relocating, coming to Kingston sure. without a support system, right? So it's important that they find that, that um, support within the program and that executive coach can fill that um, that role for them. Um, in addition to that, we have a career coach. 
So you're assigned a career coach. So this is um, someone that you don't get to choose. It's based on what you've provided to us early in the um, enrollment process. So there's homework that needs to be done before you come into an MBA. And part of that is to tell our careers team what industry you're looking to move into. Now, that's not to say everyone needs to know exactly what they want to do, but it's good for us to understand, to support our students as best as we can to make sure we're assigning a career coach that is going to align with what a student wants to do post-MBA. So all of these services are provided to our students to ensure their success, but to also make sure that they know that there is a, a very robust team Team, um, that's there to ensure that they're going to be successful both personally as well as um, within their career. Right. And what about if you're struggling academically um, mm -hmm. or maybe you have a different uh, you know, learning style that, that yeah. needs um, uh, a different um, accommodation, set of accommodations? Um, how do you support those students? Yeah, that's a great question because we're seeing this more and more. You know, mental health is is a real thing, and it's certainly at the forefront of all of our minds uh, when we're dealing with students. And we do have um, some amazing um, TAs that help students if they're struggling academically in a particular course. Um, in addition to that, we also have mental health services available for students directly. Um, so I think that you know, merging the two, offering students uh, mental health support uh, where they need it, as well as academic support um, helps our students to be successful, but also ensures that they feel comfortable and confident to tell us what's happening. If they know that there's resources available, then in my opinion, they're more likely to come to us and share those issues and say, hey, I've seen that you have, um, you know, I've seen that you, ha you have this for students, whatever that might look like, whether it's, you know, um, someone to speak about their academic journey or whether it's, you know, um, someone who's a professional to help them through their struggles mentally. You know, it's really important that students understand that that's available both within our program as well as at the university level. So Teresa, why should I choose your course above the myriad of others? There are a lot of MBA programs out there and business programs out there in the world. Um, I think that uh, one of the reasons right out of the gate that I think uh, attracts us to many candidates is that we are one year. We're a one-year program, so you're not out of the workforce for too long, and you're getting back out into the workforce as quickly as we can get you back out there sure. with support and resources to be successful in whatever industry you're looking at. In addition to that, I would say that the um, atmosphere, you know, being in a small community that's, um, you know, not a commuter campus, I think that that also helps, uh, lowers the cost. So when you're thinking about return on investment and opportunity costs, those are, those are big factors that should play into your decision. So a really high return on investment, um, given that we have a 96% employment before graduation, I think we're the only school in the country that are currently uh, reporting on bef uh, employment statistics before graduation, um, which is huge. So we have that dedicated career planning and support um, with outstanding job outcomes. Um, the areas of focus, you know, we have specializations that really appeal to the market today, entrepreneurship, social impact, investment banking, um, accounting, marketing, uh, consulting, um, international business, and so much more. So I think that, you know, as a prospective student, you want to choose a program that's going to give you a variety of options to build on skills uh, to be successful in any industry, really. 
And then I think too, the dynamic classes, uh, the small class size, the team-based nature of our program, the team challenges and consulting projects that we offer certainly um, help to build on fundamental skills in business, but also really strong interpersonal skills. So we're really about merging you um, and ensuring that you're growing professionally and personally. And I think our curriculum really speaks to that as well as the, you know, the support um, that you're getting through, you know, the team aspect, but also the coaching culture that we offer. We also have a very diverse program. You know, we're seeing candidates from across the globe, different perspectives of business in the classroom. So I think that global business content that you're getting in the classroom, as well as the opinions and the experiences that students are bringing in the classroom is also uniquely important. Tourism money makes the world go around, they say, and um, unfortunately, uh, 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 you know, these courses can be expensive. Um, could you give us a picture of, of the kind of costs that students could incur? Um, is there any difference between international and uh, national students? Thanks, Dale. Absolutely. Um, money is a big aspect of making your decision or choosing um, to go to one school over another. Um, and this is many different factors that go into this, right? It's not just about the cost of the tuition, but it's what sure. do you get for the cost of tuition? Completely. And I think that's an, an important question. So yes, we um, are one of the most expensive in the country. Uh, our domestic fees are 83795 and our international fees are 105000 So that is, um, you know, there is a difference between international and domestic fees. However, we offer an all-inclusive tuition. So what that means is all of your cases, your textbooks, all of your materials, all of your coaching services and resources that you get in our program are included in the cost of tuition. Right. And, and um, you mentioned uh, uh, the other side of the coin. Um, obviously, the employable, employability uh, mm -hmm. uh, aspect is important. Um, um, in terms of financial outcomes after graduation, is there any data there that uh, can support uh, uh, someone making the decision to commit to you rather than a cheaper alternative? That's a great question, and I think an important one that candidates should be asking themselves and should certainly be doing their due diligence to learn more about. Um, employment statistics are critical in um, seeing your return on investment, right, as a, as a prospective sure. candidate. Uh, we have reported 96% prior to graduation. Last year, we were 98% three months after graduation. And I can certainly say that, you know, um, we've been consistent in our placement rates being so high um, within Canada and in comparison to other programs. But the salary coming out of our MBA program has also been quite high. Um, last year, I can report on the class of 2022, uh, our average salary package coming out of our MBA was just under $136,000. Right. And so therefore, the, the payback, uh, the value add for a student um, uh, can be significant, I guess. Indeed. And you, you know, when candidates are taking out loans, these are not small loans. These are large loans. And so, you know, you have to factor in living expenses on top of the tuition. And so um, when it's all said and done, you know, a candidate is spending a considerable amount of money. And so they should make sure that they're going to see that return on investment in terms of placement, but also in terms of um, salary outcomes. Indeed. And let's drill a little bit into the associated costs. You mentioned that people live on campus. How much does that cost uh, uh, for a typical uh, uh, candidate? 
Yeah. So the, the cost of living is certainly going to vary depending if somebody is bringing a family with them or a support sure. system with them. So single accommodation can range anywhere from eight to nine hundred dollars for shared accommodation up to, you know, nineteen hundred dollars for, uh, you know, one or two bedrooms here in Kingston downtown within walking distance to campus. So there is a big a big uh, range there in what a student might pay, but it's all based on personal preferences. But I, I average, um, you know, shared accommodation for most of our students. And so they want to add at least uh, twenty to twenty-five thousand dollars on top of their tuition uh, for living expenses in Kingston. Yeah, indeed. And and uh, so you know, making sure that you plan carefully is is critical. Is there any support uh, from the banks uh, uh, for loans um, to 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 help students finance? And indeed, do you have any financial aid for students uh, who may struggle to to meet the costs? This is a really important question and answer. And I'll say that most candidates I speak to um, don't necessarily uh, think about preparing for this MBA in advance. And what I mean is that they don't go and talk to their bank. They're not talking to their family. Okay. They're waiting until they receive a decision and really banking on the fact that they'll get a, a large scholarship. And I think that it should be the other way around. I think you should certainly go out See what's available within your your own bank. Uh, we partner exclusively. It's our preferred lender is RBC. They will lend up to the entire cost of the tuition for domestic students or those with permanent residency. Right. And then for the international students, we partner with Empower, Empower Financing. Candidates don't need to have an offer in hand to go to these lenders and say, what do I qualify for? What does right. this picture look like? Because it's really important that candidates paint a financial picture so that they're as best prepared as they can and then use the scholarship as a bonus, right? Use the scholarship as a bonus to say, you know, okay, this deducts my tuition by X amount, but I still have a really healthy uh, financial bucket, if you will, to be able to afford the rest of the tuition and living expenses. So don't bank on just a scholarship. You know, most schools do offer scholarships. We in particular offer merit-based scholarships. So we're assessing based on everything that you give us from the application as well as the interview. And that's how we assess you um, at the end of the day for a scholarship. So we use a simple rubric. Uh, the higher the score, the higher the scholarship. It's it's pretty straightforward. Um, not one area is weighted heavier than the other. So there are certain aspects of an application that can certainly help help um, help achieve a scholarship. So I wouldn't self-select yourself out if you're one of those candidates that's worried about you know your GPA or your GMAT. There's other ways in which you can strengthen a profile to um, be able to secure a scholarship. Our scholarships, as I said, merit-based. We do have those um, scholarships through our partnerships, so women-only scholarships through Forte. Um, for the LGBTQ community, we have those Ramba fellowships. Uh, we also have accessibility scholarships for those with disabilities, both seen and unseen disabilities. So there's lots of ways a candidate can see themselves in one of our scholarships. Uh, you do not need to apply. Uh, when we are assessing you for an application, we're assessing you for a scholarship at the same time. Um, okay. So they range from 10,000 up to 70,000, so pretty significant. Right. And how many students would receive? Uh, I don't know. Um, give me an idea of the of the spread. Yeah. So um, our average, I would say, is around twenty five thousand um, dollars. Approximately seventy five, seventy to seventy five percent of our students in any given year uh, receive a scholarship. Right. Okay. So that's a significant uh, uh, number, indeed. Um, and and you mentioned. Uh, uh, 
you know, the costs associated with uh, uh, accommodation um, uh, and, and food. Is it expensive to live in, 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 in Kingston, eating and enjoying yourself? I would say it is very inexpensive. Now, I'm speaking from the perspective of having lived in Toronto for the last five years. Coming back to Kingston, I have to look at my bill twice. <laughs> say, is this right? Um, so, yes, very inexpensive. I mean, certainly costs have increased um, just given the economy. But I would say for the most part, Kingston being a small city, you know, it's certainly, you know, a night out, good meal can cost you anywhere between 30, um, you know, to $50. Now that's with an entree, an appetizer and a beverage. <laughs> that, that's where I was coming from. It's, it's, it, it is, um, you know, getting more expensive than Canada, but Kingston is one of the cheaper places, isn't it? It really is. It really is. And, and we also have great restaurants. Um, so, you know, very diverse restaurants in Kingston. You really do get, um, you know, a, a big city feel in a small town. Uh, Teresa, you have convinced me. I want to come. Um, you know, uh, I love the idea of the course. I love the idea of one year. Uh, I'm not sure about turning up in January, but you've convinced me. How do I maximize my chances of getting in uh, uh, to your course? Well, I'm happy to hear I've convinced you. There's, uh, you know, <laughs> um, so many great things about our program. Um, but I would say that uh, at the end of the day, we are looking for candidates that meet our minimum requirements, right? So um, I would say that if you meet the minimum requirements, uh, some of the the tips I can suggest to make you stand out are reaching out, connecting with us, building that community early is really important, not just to understand what Smith School of Business has to offer, but getting the student perspective from students actually living it and going through it is so critical so that by the time you get to the interview with an admissions committee, you can already speak to those experiences and it does make you stand out because it showcases to us that you, you're doing your due diligence. You're really taking the time to research, um, understand what we have to offer and understand how we can help you be successful. So reaching out to an admissions person like myself, um, our ambassadors, low-hanging fruit. We have an ambassador page right on our website. You can connect with current students, ask them questions, schedule a coffee chat. You really drive that initial stage of connecting with us. So I would say leveraging the resources that are available on our website. And then when you are meeting us, potentially on the road or virtually, um, just being able to, to build a repertoire um, with us, a rapport, pardon me, with us is really um, fundamental so that we get to know you. Um, um, you know, getting to know a candidate and understanding what you bring to the table is one aspect of it, but this goes two ways, right? We're selling to you just like you're selling to us in terms of your profile. So uh, making sure that, that you're, you're start starting that early on in, in the journey. And Teresa, you talked about the process earlier, and, and so we have a pretty good picture of how to do this, but are there any um, deadlines that students should be aware of? So we're on rolling admissions, so we actually don't have um, hard deadlines. We do suggest that applicants apply before September in any given year. Uh, for international students, certainly because of visa delays, um, sure. you would be looking at applying to us before the end of August. Um, for domestic students, it's a little different. Um, given that you're in the country and you don't have that um, that restriction or barrier in, in getting that study permit. Um, so I would say, you know, for domestic students, October, early November at the latest um, to get an, an application started at the least. Um, 
And then just moving from there, um, I would say that um, <clears throat> in terms of scholarship, important to apply as early as you feel most prepared. Um, we do assess you on a complete application. So having that standardized test in terms of the GRE and the GMAT is important. That's a good, uh, good words of advice there. Um, and uh, finally, um, you know, students who uh, uh, are thinking of coming to you, what would be the the one piece of advice you would give them if you could come up with one thing, uh, the standout piece, would it be apply early? Would it be, um, you know, uh, do due diligence? What would it be? I think all of those things, but I also think to um, understanding your journey post MBA is important uh, in a one year program. So we're one year, 12 months goes by very quickly. So in order to make sure you're leveraging all of the resources available to you right at the onset of our program, understanding what it is that you might want to do post-MBA, we're never going to hold you to it, but it's, un it's important to understand where are your passions and your interests and where do you see yourself and how can we make that happen? And the earlier you start on that journey, the better outcome you will have. So there's direct correlation, you know, between those that meet with their career coach frequently and how quickly they get a job. And those are the, are the ones that really know what they want to do and they're just really trying to figure out maybe function they know the industry but maybe they're trying to figure out what is the best role and so meeting with your career coach early starting that process and those are things that you can actually do in advance right you don't need to do that before mm -hmm. um sorry you don't need to do that uh, while you're in a program you can start that journey earlier um and and then the other thing is is you know starting the if you don't come from a business background one of the other pieces of advice would be to Start building on that language skill set, you know, picking up Business Week, The Economist, um, looking at blog posts or just podcasts to get familiar with the business language if you don't come from that background is also an important tip I would provide so that you're already hitting the ground running when you start an MBA. So... Thank you for uh, all of that, Teresa. Um, if I've got any questions that haven't been answered, who should I contact or what's the best route to follow? Sure, and thank you, Neil. This has been such a pleasure. Um, essentially, we have a very customer-centric focus on every applicant um, that uh, comes to us. So there is an online chat function during business uh, regular business hours on our website. As well, um, if you are looking for a preliminary assessment, there is no fee, no obligation for our applications. Uh, so a complete um, free application process, wherein you will submit to us your resume, unofficial transcripts, We'll do the preliminary assessment, get back to you within two to three business days. So our website is really the best place to start that process. Um, as well, you can always reach out to me. Add me onto LinkedIn. I'm always happy to make new connections and speak with candidates uh, directly. Fantastic. It's been such a pleasure to meet you today. Uh, thank you so much for your time. And I've loved learning about your course. Uh, uh, I love the off-cycle nature of it uh, and the fact that it's uh, a one-year program. Uh, is for many students, I'm sure, really significantly important. So thank you so much for your time today. And thank you, Neil. It was such a pleasure. Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe and visit us at thembapod.com.